You guys remember where we've been so far, probably? Uh, we, we've kind of taken as our theme throughout these grace talks the little phrase, God saves sinners, right? And uh, by that, what we've meant is that uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit do absolutely everything in bringing you and I, sinners, to redemption, right? There's no place left for us. And uh, we've, we've looked over the last two days at the, the role that the Father and the role that the Son play in this, right? The, we saw from Ephesians chapter 1 that from before the foundations of the earth, He chose us. And in love, He predestined us, right? And then we also saw that it is through the, the death of Christ that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so this morning, we're going to turn our attention, we're going to uh, continue to, we're going to actually step up the pace even more than we did yesterday. We're going to look at the, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit very briefly, and then we're going to talk about uh, the results that all this has. So what? What, what? what happens after the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit do their deal on us? All right, uh, open up in your little binders there to the page that says the role of the Spirit union with Christ. And open up in your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 1. How many of you guys have been sitting in seminars all morning? All right. I know that uh, you've been talked at a lot, so hang with me. How many of you guys slept in during your free time today? Just a few? All right. Well, we're all coming from different places right now. Um, but we're all turning our attention to the same place, to the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. This is a passages that we're familiar with, we've already heard. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, by which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now verse 11, this is where we're going to pick up our discussion this morning. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Or some of your passages say we have been called, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. If it's the function of the Father to call us, to choose us from before the foundations of the earth is the function of the Son to die for all those whom the Father has chosen. And this morning what I want us to see is, is the role of the Holy Spirit, is the function of the Holy Spirit to apply 
the work of Christ to our life, to unite us to Christ in faith and repentance. Now this union with Christ begins with what we call effectual calling and regeneration. And that's actually what you see there in verse 11. Um, some of you, if you look down at verse 11, your Bible say, in him we have obtained an inheritance. That's what the ESV has. Who has the NIV? Want to read what the NIV has? Who's got the NIV actually open? Go for it. NIV. 11. Ephesians 1.11. In him you were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who worked out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. All right. In him we were also chosen... And in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Those sound like slightly different phrases, don't they? Um, but really, what both of those phrases are getting at, the Greek word there literally means, in him, we have become partakers. And the way the NIV tries to get that idea across is it talks about the fact that we've been chosen. The way that the ESV tries to get that across is talks about that we have now received an inheritance. But in him, we have now become partakers. Partakers of what? Partakers of the work of Christ, of his death and his resurrection. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to unite us in faith to Jesus. And we become partakers of everything that Jesus accomplished. How many of you guys remember that illustration that Chad gave us last night about Satchel Paige, right? And as he took the mound and everyone else sat back there in the dugout, his win was shared by everyone in the dugout. And that's, that's the image that we have here in verse 11. That what the Spirit does is the Spirit takes us and puts us on Jesus' team, unites us to Christ, and as a result, we become partakers of everything he accomplished. We call this effectual calling. If you uh, turn back in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, 828, a passage that we've uh, already looked at once and want us to look at one more time. I'll actually start in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew... God the Father, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You know, when we read about this sort of calling, we, we call this an effectual calling. And what we mean by effectual calling is we mean that this calling actually accomplishes something. How many of you guys have dogs or any sort of pet? But I have a little dog. It's a, it's a tiny little poodle mix. Um, not the most manly animal in the world. So, but um, our dog is completely out of control. My wife and I have tried everything to train it. And uh, everyone here in my youth group can attest that what happens anytime somebody comes to our door is our dog just goes in freak out mode jumps up on their leg and runs around in circles and runs up and down the hall and just can't, you know, can't get all this energy out. And uh, it never fails. Every time somebody comes to the door, every time the dog gets out of the house, I'm yelling for her, Bailey, stop, 
Bailey, get in here. Bailey, sit. Bailey, come. And basically, all I do is wear out my voice. My words are completely powerless. They don't actually do anything. I'm not sure kind of where the breakdown happened, but, but uh, the point is, you know, when, when we talk about God's calling, we're not talking about empty words. We're talking about words that possess power. Uh, this, pa- this passage isn't on your paper. You may want to write it down. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read for you, uh, starting in verse 3. Paul says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them, the God of this world being Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul paints here in this verse a picture of humanity. And the picture he paints is that we are all enslaved to Satan. All right? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now listen to what he says here in verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says the God who simply spoke at the beginning of time, and said, let there be light. And there was. Just as easily as God spoke creation into existence, he speaks into the heart of dead and lifeless sinners. And when he speaks, when he calls, Inevitably, everyone who he calls hears. And he calls all those whom he has predestined. This is this little beautiful string that we're seeing running through redemption. The fact that all three members of the Trinity work in perfect harmony, doing everything that's necessary to bring you and I to redemption. And what happens when the Spirit calls us, when light shines in our heart, is, is that our, our stony, our dead, our lifeless hearts are given new life. We call this regeneration, another theological term for you guys to chew on. You know, sometimes when, uh, how many of you guys have, uh, you know, been to BBS or somewhere else, and you've, you've heard kind of the, the gospel story put this way, that, you know, we're, we're out there, and we're, 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 we're in the ocean, flailing our arms around, drowning in the water, right? And what does God do? He, he, he drives up in his boat, and he tosses this life preserver out with the words Jesus Christ on it, right? And then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to grab on, right? We're supposed to grab on as we're trying to keep ourselves up above the water as the waves are crashing down on us. But I want to submit to you guys that that is not a very biblical picture. 
we've had the chance to talk about the effect of sin in our life. And really, the, the, the better image is to see ourselves down at the bottom of the ocean, lifeless and dead, with not even an ounce of fight left in us. And rather than pitching a life preserver in the direction of a dead man floating in the water, what we see is the picture of a savior who dives into the water and drags our lifeless bodies up onto shore and at that very moment breathes new life into us. One of the classic examples that we see of this in scripture is, is the story of a prophet named Ezekiel. Some of you probably have heard of Ezekiel. And, and God told Ezekiel to do a rather strange thing. He told Ezekiel to go out to this valley, this valley just littered with dry bones, where soldiers' bodies just laid from a war. He tells him to go out to this valley, and he says, start to prophesy. Speak to these bones. You can imagine the prophet kind of sitting there scratching his head, thinking, what in the world? Speak to these bones? These, this lifeless white things sitting out there in the desert. And as he does so, these dry bones come to life. And that's the picture of the gospel. That's, the, that's, the, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. Calls us, renews us, and gives us new life. And as a result of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, you and I are brought to faith and repentance. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you don't need to turn there, you could just listen as I read it, verses that you're probably familiar with, verses that elevate the grace of God, the absolute grace of God and salvation. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Let me read that again. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. All of salvation from beginning to end, including your faith, is a gift of God. The gift of God. By grace so that none of us can boast. Paul says in Corinthians that our only boast, our only boast, is in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of this faith and repentance, as I said earlier, is that ultimately the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. That his victory becomes our victory. His work becomes our work. And as a result of that, several things happen. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here. Um, make a few brief comments. There's a lot of you know, throughout here that uh, we didn't have a chance to talk about. You know, ask your youth director when you get home. Ask one of us this afternoon if you want to talk about any of this stuff further. But a few things happen. We're united to Christ, and all of a sudden, all these benefits become ours. There's a lot of theological words here. Justification, sanctification, adoption, perseverance, and glorification. But I want to talk about two of them very briefly. Justification and sanctification. 
What does the word justification mean? Somebody could use their own words. Take a stab at it. Yeah, so, okay, Rachel, you want to add something to that, too? Just as if I never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. That's a good phrase. I like that. Michael, what? Yeah, all right. A lot of good things here. We could add a few more. One more. What, what, what do you want to add? Um, an act of God's grace. It's an act of God's grace. That's a perfect phrase, but I don't actually want to get to that in just a second. Justification. You guys are good. You guys bring in all sorts of pieces. Justification is God's work in completely removing the guilt of your sin. Completely removing the guilt of your sin. We talked about that last week, as we, or yesterday, as we, uh, as we saw how our sin was transferred to Christ, while at the same time his righteousness was transferred to us. And so in that moment, what happens is, you and I, who are guilty sinners, are declared, we're declared righteous. It's just as if we had never sinned. When God looks at you, hear me now, when God looks at you, you've placed your faith in Christ. He doesn't see your sin. That sin has been removed as far as the east is from the when he looks at you, all he sees is the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. Sanctification is a radically different thing. Because the reality is, God has declared you and I righteous because of Christ's work on the cross. But he isn't done yet. Not only does God simply declare desire to remove the guilt of our sins, but he wants to completely eradicate the presence of sin in his people. And so sanctification is God's work at cleaning you and I up. We, uh, we've already heard the, the, the language that justification is an act of God's free grace. Sanctification, our confession tells us, is a work of God's free grace. What do you guys think the difference between an act and a and, and, a, and, a, uh, and a work is. Yeah, yeah. Trent said an act is done and a work continues. It's still in process. And so what we mean by that is justification happens the moment we place our faith in Christ. The guilt of your sin, past, present, and future, is removed. But sanctification is an ongoing process. You and I recognize that we're not the people that we want to be. I hear it in your prayers at night, in the evening. We struggle. We struggle because we recognize that when we look at our lives, as the Apostle Paul says, we do the things that we don't want to do. And the very things that we want to do, we don't find the strength to do. Sin lingers. 
But the work of sanctification is God progressively making us more and more into the image of Christ. Kind of a helpful picture to this is, is the picture of a house. You know, in, in justification, God purchases you. Chad reminded you of this. You belong to Christ. Peter says we have been purchased not by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can kind of think of a house. When you buy a house, it's yours. It belongs to you. It's not going anywhere. Nobody can take it from you. You belong to God. That's justification. But as soon as he buys that house, he plans to remodel it, to change it from the inside out. Extreme makeover. Bible edition. Something like that. <laughs> That's what's going on, you know? And so God's got, the, God's got the, the deed to the house now, and he starts to go in, and he goes into every little corner of your heart, and he starts to clean it up. He strips the paint off the wall. He patches the hole in the room. But the reality is, you know, sometimes what we do is, is you know, we let Jesus into certain rooms, right? Kind of say, oh yeah, you could come into this part of my life and you could fix this up. But there's certain rooms that we just don't want him to go in. We don't want him up in the attic. We don't want him down in the basement. But when Christ starts his work of sanctification, what he's doing is going through your heart, room by room. And slowly, but in a very real way, rooting out the sin that still exists in you. And molding you more into the image of and I really want you guys to hear this distinction between sanctification and justification this morning. Because the reality is, as Christians, we have, we have a responsibility, we have a calling to battle sin. We, that's our responsibility. But we live with one foot in two different realities. On the one hand, we stand firmly rooted in the promise that the guilt of that sin is completely removed. While on the other side, we stand in the reality that that sin is still present in our life. One of the passages that I've been thinking about this week um, from Colossians is, as we've read through it in our, in our devotional time, a passage that I can't say I ever really noticed before. Open up to Colossians 1. We're going to end here. Sorry. Um, we're going to end here. Colossians 1, verse 29. Now the context here is the Apostle Paul talking about his ministry to the Gentiles, talking about his calling to preach the gospel, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says in that context, for this, that is his ministry to the Gentiles, I toil." Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, I don't think it's a stretch for us to apply that verse to the reality of sanctification. That's what happens in sanctification as well. 
You and I could, it could, could, could put into this verse any sin that we struggle with. For this, for victory over covetousness, for victory over lust, for victory over anger, for this I toil. I struggle. I do battle with all the with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. That's the calling that we have. And as you and I take up that battle, we take it up with the freedom of knowing that the guilt of that sin is gone. And the final benefit that you see there on that paper is called glorification. And glorification is our final hope. The day that Christ returns and we get to go home with them, with him, in that day, this struggle, the Bible tells us, will completely be removed. In that day, not only will we be declared righteous, but we'll be made righteous. We'll be fully formed into the image of Christ. That's the promise of Scripture. Salvation from beginning to end is the work of God. It's the work of God. But that doesn't leave us, at the end of the day, it doesn't leave us saying that we have no responsibility. Christ calls us. Christ calls us as his followers to take up our cross and to follow him. To do battle against the sin that dwells within us. And by the power of his spirit, he promises you will find victory. Sometimes hard to believe. It's hard to believe when we perpetually fall into the same old scenario. Take up that promise. Take up that promise as you, as you return home. When you get back into the same routines and the same temptations that are placed in front of your eyes, take up that promise. The same God who has removed the guilt of your sin has filled you with his spirit and promises to give you victory. Victory over that sin. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great love with which you have loved us. A love that stretches back before even the foundations of the earth. A love in which you have chosen us to be adopted as your children, a love that sent your son Jesus to the cross in order to redeem us and to pay the penalty of our sin, and a love that isn't satisfied to leave us the way we are, but a love that transforms us from the inside out, and a love that ultimately carries us on to glory. Lord, we do pray that you would come, and we pray that you would come quickly. But until that day arrives, Lord, we ask that you would give us strength to live as your followers, to proclaim your kingdom, and to bring you glory by all that we say and do. And we ask this now in the name of your Son, Jesus.
Thank you.